Heavenly Father, we want to come before you this morning because we have no place else to turn. And we don't say that in defeat. We don't say that in any kind of a way that would be disparaging or hopeless. We come to you because that's where we should have turned to begin with. And that's where we should always turn. And we look to you as the one who loves us, cares for us, the one who disciplines us, the one who teaches us, the one who restores us, and the one who is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. We come to you as the one who can restore the years the locusts have eaten. You're the one who can bring beauty out of ashes. And we come to you, Lord, because you're the only one that we can turn to, and you're the only one that can really change us or change the situations that we find ourselves in. You're the only one who can give us strength. You're the only one who can give us power. You're the only one who really has the answers because you have a plan for us and the steps of the righteous, wherever they may lead, the Bible says that they are ordered of God. And we thank you that even if we find ourselves like so many have, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we pray for the Jeter family and we pray for the Tut family and we pray, Father, for so many others that have been touched by this as well. I've never seen anything quite like it. And yet we thank you, Lord, that we can say like David, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I thank you, Lord, that even when we're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, in the darkness, in the fear, and we're bewildered and we don't know what to do, I thank you, Lord, that about the time we start to drift, that you pull us back with your rod. I thank you that about the time the wolves and the bears, the enemies attack us, you come to our defense and you beat them away and you cause us to walk in safety. And then I thank you also, Lord, that when David said that in Psalm 23, he said the word that is so precious to us, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're not stuck there. We're not ending up there. That's not our destination. It's just part of the journey going through it. And everybody goes through that with people that they love, with family members and friends. And then ultimately all of us go through it ourselves. I pray that everybody here today is ready for that because they have a relationship with you because they've repented of their sins and put their trust in Christ and Christ alone and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And I thank you, Lord, that you've promised those people will be saved. Thank you for that. Lord, we uh, pray for sick people, people that are recovering from surgeries and therapies and different problems in their life. Oh, Lord, help them physically and uh, give them strength. And we pray, Lord, for people that are going through difficulties in relationships, families that are fractured, marriages that are hurting, and uh, there's estrangement and there's uh, distance between people that ought to be close. And only you can fix that, and we pray that you would indeed fix that. I pray for Mama Lou this morning as she is in the aftermath of the flu and all of that, and now she's had significant hearing loss in her good ear and uh, these cancers, skin cancers that keep coming up. And Father, our prayer would be for her that you would restore that hearing. Our prayer would be that you would stop the cancers from coming up. And we pray you would give her peace and give her rest and give her health. And she's not the only one. There were other people. I think about Nita Buckhalter in 
all of the things that she's been through and pray that you would bless and, and there would be others that we could name and we ask that your spirit might encourage our people now and that we might remember them and pray for them and minister to them in some way. I pray, Father, that you would remind us we were a part of a family, the family of God, and we're related to each other, and we're a part of each other, and I pray that we would be strengthened. We pray for people that have fallen away and ask for you to restore them, both to you and to the church, and may they always find welcoming open arms here because we're glad that they're with us and we want them to be right, and we don't condemn them we welcome them and pray that you would help us to always be that way give us a burden for the lost and people all around us who don't have any hope because they don't know jesus help them lord and help us be witnesses to them and i pray today that you would speak to us through your word and i pray that we would get answers and i pray that we would get the strength that we need from the truth of the word of god and may your name be glorified in our hearts and in every part of our lives. To God be the glory is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles this morning and we'll continue on in 1 Thessalonians. And we are still in the fifth chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be looking in just a moment at verses uh, 6 through 11 today as Paul continues but now as he's talking about the second coming of Christ he gets really really practical and this is the point where we need to <clears throat> take this and apply it to our lives now let's go back in uh, history okay it's 11:40 p.m. it's April 14th and the year is 1912 that time and date doesn't really matter for most of the world unless you are on the Titanic. Now, if you're on the Titanic, that is the time, the ship's time, where the unsinkable Titanic hit the iceberg. Can you imagine? I saw, as I was doing research for this, a picture of what they think was the iceberg that the giant ship hit, and uh, there's a dark spot on it that they uh, say is red paint. From the ship itself. It was, it was a hit. And it did damage to the ship. But you know one of the things that is astounding. Is that most of the people on the ship. Had no idea. The ship is going to completely sink. In two hours and 40 minutes. And yet most of the people on there. Had no idea. As you've doubtless heard before, there was an inadequate number of lifeboats and things like that. Because what do you need lifeboats for on an unsinkable ship, of course? And you think about the horror of what it must have been like to go down on that ship. And uh, think about what would await you. And I'm sure as the ship went down, it went down. One end went down first, the other end is in the air. And I'm sure people were running to that one spot. That one place that was not underwater to preserve life as long as possible. There was another ship in the area that didn't respond as quickly as they could have. Or many more lives could be saved. But at this time, on the ship, April 14th, 1912. There's two hours and 40 minutes left before the ship sinks. 
and 14, depending on how you count and what pa passenger manifest you look at and all of those. There's some confusion. Confusion. 1,400 to 1,600 people will be dead in two hours and 40 minutes. Will you let that just sink in? I mean, I'm glad there are some things I don't know. I'm glad that I don't know the date and the time of my death. I'm not sure I could deal with that. I'm glad I don't know the time and the date of people that I love. I'm not sure that I could deal with that. Yes, it's a shock when we don't know. And yes, it disturbs us when we don't know. And yes, it bothers us when we don't have answers. But let's also be honest. Even when the answers come, they don't bring comfort. And they don't always help. And sometimes they stir up more. It's the kind of people that we are. It's the way that we've made. And we don't, we don't like those kind of things. But I'm glad that I don't know. I'm glad that I'm not looking out at all of you and you've got a countdown timer on your uh, head. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing to wake up in the morning and go, three hours? Why am I brushing my teeth? Who cares if I have bad breath? If that's all the time that I have left. I mean, it would so alter everything that we do in life. And so this idea that we can live like that can be a good thing because it keeps us from just crawling up in the fetal position somewhere. Yet at the same time, it can be detrimental. What preparations could we be making and what should we be doing? And I'll submit to you, the world, this planet on which we are living, is a lot like the Titanic. And we're like the people on the Titanic. And most of the world is, well, they're getting drunk, they're partying, they're dancing away with everything, and life is just so wonderful and they have no earthly idea that it's all coming to an end do they and the sad thing is for a lot of Christians we would rather just come to church bury our heads in the sand hang around our Christian friends think our Christian thoughts and not really be salt and light in this world as we are to be not to really be sounding the alarm as we ought to sound it because the times are well Paul put it this way he said in the last days perilous time should come I would think if I were on the deck of the Titanic at this particular time I would probably label that as perilous it's a perilous time this is no fun this is not necessarily <clears throat> as good as we would like it we thought we were going to be on the cruise from Southampton England to New York City on this unsinkable huge ship and it was just going to be a big party all the way through the party's over turn out the lights the old song says the party's over and today as we look at the world in which we live we want to say to them turn out the lights the party's over it is time to get serious but they're not listening and they don't care and neither do they have the capacity to do that but you know what's even more sad is Believers, believers sometimes want to put their heads in the sand. They want to continue on like nothing is wrong, <clears throat> no big deal, and we're not sounding the alarm as we should. So we think about what Paul says about um, all of this, and we might want to say this. If it's 1140 at night, on the Titanic, on April 14th, 1912, 
This is not the time to rearrange the deck chairs. Get it? Kind of cliche, but that's the world in which we live. So many people are trying to rearrange deck chairs when they're on the verge of going into eternity. And by the way, eternity is a forever proposition. And forever is a long, long time. So I ask you, are you ready? I ask you, do you see it? Do you get it? Because it'll change the way you view people. It'll change the way you view world situations. It'll change the way you view the frustrations of life. It'll change everything if you can actually see it. And so many times I'm afraid that as believers and as churches, we're more concerned about the deck chairs on the Titanic than we are about the fact that people are dying and about to face their eternity in a horrific, horrific way. We've got to get serious. And we've got to get focused. And we've also got to understand that we have a mission and a way that we are supposed to live as believers. You see, there were a lot of people on the Titanic who had no idea what happened and what the ramifications were. Oh, but wait. Eventually, all of them did. Eventually, all of them did. And in this world in which we're living, eventually... All of them are going to face what the Bible says in Hebrews 9. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, what? Judgment. Yeah. Death is not the worst part of life. It's the judgment that we have to face as sinners, lawbreakers, treason, uh, treasonous actions against the king of the universe... And most people don't even know it and they're not even aware of it. And we have the answer. We man the lifeboats. And yet we just kind of act like they do and live many times like they do. That being said, I want you to think about this in the scripture. How is it that we are to live in what we believe are the last days? We're at least closer to it than we ever have been. And Paul tells us. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 11. Therefore, he says, or because of all of the things he's talked about before in chapter 4 and chapter 5 concerning the end times coming of the Lord, based on that, let us, believers, not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And by sober, he doesn't mean, I must be serious all the time. He's talking about not being drunk. Having a clear mind, a clear head, thinking clearly on all of this. Verse 7. For those who sleep, well, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, believers, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith, hope, and love. Paul always goes there, doesn't he? Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Now therefore, do what? Comfort each other and edify, build up one another, 
just as you also are doing. Now that's the instruction. How do we live in these last days? How do we live in the perilous times? Well, my first thing would be this. Number one, you just need to be aware. And so many people are not aware. They're not paying attention. They don't really see anything uh, other than, uh, you know, us four and no more. And we're having a good time. All's right with the world. Well, all's not right with the world. All's not right with your family. All's not right with your kids or your grandkids or your nieces or nephews. We're in a perilous time and kids are paying the price for it. They're telling us now that in terms of pornography because of our technology where it used to be that you had to find a dirty magazine or something like that or maybe something on cable TV or maybe you go to an adult bookstore in a seedy part of town and you hope nobody notices that you're there. All of a sudden pornography has become available to everybody, even little kids. It has become affordable Anybody can get it. Anybody, you don't have to buy it or anything like that. You can, I suppose, but you don't have to. And it also is anonymous. You know, there was a time when if a man were going to do that, he would go into a convenience store or an adult bookstore and he'd have to look around hoping nobody from church was there, hoping nobody from work was there, hoping nobody from his family was seeing him go in there. It was embarrassing. If somebody went to a convenience store and they bought a magazine and then they were walking up to the counter and about that time they saw their husband or wife or mom or dad or somebody come in, what do you suppose they would do? Try to hide? Try to hide it? But you don't have to do that anymore. Anybody can get it at any time. And the age of exposure to pornography is getting lower and lower and lower and lower. And it's perverting people. It is messing up little kids and their perception about what the sexual relationship should be, about what their role is. We can't even figure out what gender we are anymore. The perversion is getting worse and worse and worse. I wondered when my son was born in 1985... Things were bad then. And I remember thinking, if all of this stuff that is so bad right now becomes normal, what is his generation going to face in terms of temptation? Because it always has to get worse. It always had to, has to get more perverted. It always has to get more exciting and more risky and more rebellious and all of that. It goes on and on and on and on. Well, we're seeing that now, aren't we? And we live in a world where things are so mixed up and so perverted. And everybody says, oh, I just want to be me and I want to be free and all of this. And all it's doing is destroying lives. Destroying relationships and destroying the very children that we're supposed to provide for and protect. And the world doesn't see it. The world is saying, yippee, finally we can do this. You and I see it. What are we doing? How are we praying? How are we witnessing? What is our life like? And we're too busy gambling life away we're too busy entertaining life away we're too busy drinking life away we're too busy on all of that kind of stuff no time for God no time for other people no time for fellowship no time for edification I will do what I want to do which tells us in terms of our spiritual maturity we're a bunch of toddlers aren't we 
We're not as mature as we think we ought to be. We're no more an army than a group of toddlers that are playing in the sandbox. No organization. We don't really know what we're doing. We're not using our spiritual gifts. We're not using our time wisely. We don't have our armor on. We're not armed and we're not taking the battle seriously. Paul says to us, to put it in two words, wake up! Wake up! This is not the time to sleep. This is not the time to be drunk on the things of this world. This is not the time to be rearranging deck chairs on the deck of the Titanic. So the first thing he says is, be aware. That's point number one. Therefore, let us not sleep. What are you doing when you're asleep? You're unaware. You don't know what's happening on around you. You might wake up and say, what's that noise? But you woke up because you don't know. It frightened you. Normal noises typically don't bother you during the night. You get used to the hum of the fan. You get used to the sound of your electronics. You get used to your kid's noise machine in the other room. You get used to all of that. You sleep through it. But when something unusual happens, you wake up, but you have no knowledge of what it is. Takes you a while to figure it out. I heard a noise, honey. Somebody's in the house. And you are going, what? No, you're crazy. No, I can't until you hear the noise. Then all of a sudden you kind of spring to action, but you don't know what's out there. That's what it is, this metaphor of sleeping. Sometimes Paul uses sleep to talk about those who have died, but not here. He's talking about those who are just unaware. They're just in a fog. They're snoozing away while the ship is going down. Don't sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober or clear-minded about that. Not obstructed, not, not drunk, not high. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who are drunk are drunk at night. Now, I could not help but think of 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. Okay, I would invite you to turn in your Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, where Paul also describes the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where he talks about perilous times. And I dare you to look at your Bible and find me anything in here that does not describe our world. Anything. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. You know, I hear all the time, you know the problem in our world today is people don't love themselves. You know what I would submit? That's not our problem at all. Our problem is we love ourselves too much and we don't give a rip who it hurts. That's why we have Drag Queen Story Hour. That's why you have that kind of stuff. People in Texas taking little kids to a strip club as part of their education. Are you kidding me? What is the deal? Oh, we just love our kids. No, you don't. You love yourself and you're going to force your perversions on everybody else no matter what. That's why crime is so high. I don't care who you are. I don't care how hard you work for what you've got. I want it. I'm going to get it. And I'll kill you if I have to. And you get in my way. And I dare the justice system to do anything about it. Isn't that the world we live in? Why? Because people don't love themselves too little. 
They love themselves too much. Too much, right? They will be lovers. My goodness, we didn't even hardly get through the verse and we could preach on that, couldn't we? Lovers of money. How much corruption in our government today would be stopped if there were no money in it? How much sin would be stopped? There would be no sex trafficking if nobody could make money. There'd be no drug cartels if there were no money. And on and on and on and on and on and on we could go. Follow the money, they say. They're right. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Mm-mm. unthankful, unholy, unloving. How about this one? Unforgiving. We're living in a society where everybody goes, give me mercy, give me grace. You've got to accept me. You should forgive me. But we don't do that for anybody else. I'll never forgive you. I'll never get over this. I'll never let this go. You'll pay for this till the day I... Have you heard anything like that? It's awful. Unforgiving. Slanderers. We can't wait to go, you know what I know about them. You know what they really did. You know what they're really like. You know what their hidden secrets are. Every other TV show is about exposing somebody and the wickedness of their life, isn't it? We love slander. Without self-control, I just couldn't help it. Brutal. Think about some of the crimes you've read. Those students in Idaho? That wasn't a nice, clean, sanitary, quick death that they experienced. Stabbed to death in their own beds. We live in a brutal, brutal time. Not to mention how many... Babies were slaughtered in their mother's wombs, even recently. Despisers of good. All you have to do is proclaim the truth and you're canceled, buddy. Nobody wants to hear from you because we despise your puritanical, Victorian, Christian ideas of what's good or bad, right or wrong. And don't you dare force that on me. Why, they hate what's good. That's why they don't love Jesus, because they love sin. Traitors. Who cares what your country is? Who cares what your fellow citizens are going through? Who cares what it costs them? It doesn't matter. Headstrong, nobody's going to change my mind. Haughty, I'm right and I'm going to do what I want to do and all the rest of you are wrong. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. Oh, but I love Jesus. See my Facebook post? I live like the devil all the other time, and I think like him too. But see my little Facebook post that says, I love God, I heart God. No power, no change, no commitment rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. And uh, I'll let you read the rest of it. That's the source of cults and lies and political corruption and all of these kind of things, and it's absolutely amazing. Now, I was listening to Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, on his briefing this past Friday, and he quoted an educational institution, and it said, ready for this? Deferring to parents cannot be morally justified, and that's what an education group in the U.S., calls for teachers to disregard parental rights in the issue of gender identity 
in schools. You don't listen to them. Oh, pay our salaries, but we're not going to listen to you. Support us and make sure that we get everything we want and everything that we need, but we're not going to support you in anything we do. A major, major change in educational philosophy is taking place right before our eyes. Well, at least it's not happening here. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And parents are losing their rights, and some of that through their own fault. And then we wonder why society is in the mess that it's in. The family is out of order, and uh, we have other things too. Who should be allowed in which bathroom? Who should be allowed to play on which team? And uh, all kinds of things. Transgender revolutionaries continue to fight for control over public schools in Florida. Wait a minute, I thought Florida was a red state. I thought we fixed everything there. I thought Governor DeSantis got all of that in order. Don't we wish? Politics is not, will not be the answer. It never is. It never is. It's the human heart that is the problem. Male, female, or other, U.S. Census Bureau struggles with ramifications of the LGBTQ and whatever else goes on the end of that revolution. Got my passport ordered. It was almost expired and uh, they said I needed to get it done before we take our trip to Israel. So as soon as we get all that taken care of in the timeline, we'll be uh, getting the dates in for all of that. And uh, thank you again very much for that. But as we put it, uh, the application in, uh, I had to fill out a thing and I had a choice. Am I a male? Am I a female? Or am I an ex? Now please don't answer that because... You're probably going to hurt my feelings here. I already had them hurt once today by Wade, but uh, we won't bring up anything like that. That's the world we live in. And what do we do with this? What do we do with a person who says, well, I used to be a male, now I'm a female, and then later on they go, ah, I'm going to go back to being a male again. Uh, wh wh where do we put the, this and where, how do we categorize people and uh, how do we know what to do with it? The Census Bureau has no idea what to do with all of it because it sounds so easy until you try to do the practical things that have to be done. And in a Christian home with Christian morals, do you have the right to raise your children as a Christian parent? And the culture is saying to us, no. And if something doesn't stop and if the Lord doesn't help us, there will come a day where those of you who are trying to raise your children by what you believe are biblical principles will be considered mentally unfit and your children will be taken away from you. This is why voting is so important and this is why even more so us standing up for the truth is more important than probably ever and this is why getting the gospel out to people is so important. We're not angry and we love people. And we know that Jesus is the only answer to a sin-sick, broken world and for broken people. And thank God the gospel is for broken people. It's for sinners. And all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own ways. But God has laid the iniquity of us all on him. Thank the Lord that he did that 
for us. And we need to be sharing the story. Number two, how are we going to survive these per, uh, perilous times? Be aware. Be aware. Number two, number two, we have to have confidence in Scripture. You see, the world's going to speak, and the scientific community is going to speak, and the psychological community is going to speak, and the religious community is going to speak. And as long as they line up with the Word of God, then thumbs up. But where they don't line up with the Word of God, that's where we have to know the truth because Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free and that's where we have got to know. And we are of the day, Paul says, and we're putting on a breastplate of faith, love, and a helmet of salvation, which is hope. And basically he's saying this, if you believe the Bible, then you're believing God. That's bottom line. And if you're not, then you're believing Satan and you're believing his lies. And the key is to be sober by putting on the breastplate of faith. Now the breastplate would go from basically just below the throat and then it would go down and cover the abdomen, the vital organs, the core, so to speak. And to the Jews, the idea of the heart up here, that was your thinking capacity. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's your thinking capacity. And your abdomen is your feelings. That's why Paul says in the King James Version to the Philippians, if there be any bowels and mercy. What? Well, what they were saying and what Paul was saying is that the feelings that you have are kind of in your gut, we might say. So when you're driving up over a hill and you see the cop car down there and you look at and see you're going 20 miles over the speed limit, where does it hit you? Right there in the gut. Somebody calls and says your loved one has been in an accident. Where does it hit you? Right in the gut. And Paul is saying it's the breastplate of faith, the truth of the Word of God, that protects two things, and this is where we're failing. you got to be right in your thinking, your heart, and you got to be right in your feelings because we're too feeling-led today. And so many times our feelings are leading us astray. We've got to have the breastplate of faith. In Ephesians 6, he calls it the breastplate of righteousness to protect our thinking and our feeling. And how do we do that? We go to the Word of God and we find out what God said, what God wants, and how the Lord has put all this together. Okay? So when you have doubt and discouragement attacking you, you need the breastplate of faith and the helmet of salvation to protect you in your thinking and in your feeling. Number three, we have to look at the world in all situations, I mean, through gospel eyes. That person mistreated you at the checkout counter at Walmart. Say, how do I look at that through gospel eyes? Understand this. If they are lost, that's just what they do. And the only answer is to get them saved. And the only way to get them saved is to tell them about Jesus, that he died, that he rose from the dead, and he bore the wrath of God on the cross in our place. That's good news. You can have the righteousness of God and the favor of God because Jesus took all of the unrighteousness and the unfavor, I guess is a word, that you deserved and he put it on Christ and he bore it and paid it completely. And we've got to look at politics like that. What's the biggest thing in politics? 
Well, some might say not enough Democrats. Others might say not enough Republicans. Others might say not enough Libertarians. Whatever. You know, the truth of the matter is, there's not enough gospel. Sinners need to be saved. Even political sinners need to be saved. What's the deal when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off? And I mean, man, you honk your horn and then you pull up beside them and then you give them a piece of your mind which you probably can't spare. Right? Now tell them something that they need to know. You go, well, I'd be embarrassed to try to witness to them now. That's why we've got to look at everything through gospel eyes. Why did they mistreat somebody? Because they're lost. Why is there sex trafficking going on in the country? Because they're lost. Why are people wanting to blitz, be blitzed out of their mind all the time? Because they're lost. Why are they wanting to end their lives? Because they don't have any hope and they're lost. What's going on? We've got to see everything through the eyes of the gospel. Now, can I say something else? That means even you. It's so easy to feel smug and superior. Why do people think like that? Because they're lost like you were. Like you were. There but for the grace of God. Yeah. We forget that, don't we? And those times when we look and we go, how can anybody be so perverted? Well, if it weren't for the grace of God, you would be. How could anybody do that to their family? Well, if it weren't for the grace of God, you would. How could anybody act like this in society and think that it's okay? Well, if it weren't for the grace of God, that's where you would be. The gospel has got to be like glasses that we put on and we see everything through the eyes of the gospel. I love you. I care for you. And I want to share with you the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. I don't like what you do. And you hurt me. And you betrayed me. And you have messed me up. Until I stop and I think the problem is not that they need to change their vocabulary. Be politically correct. And be more culturally sensitive. That doesn't help anything. We had a band director at uh, Owasso, <clears throat> and he was telling us, he goes, the reason you're not playing the right music and pushing down the right valves is because you're a moron. Well, somebody threatened to sue him over that. So he told us, I can't say moron anymore. He goes, but when I say uh, this, he goes, I'm going to call you a non-thinker. Non-thinker. And then he said, but when I say non-thinker, I'm thinking moron. <laughs> right? How to win friends and influence people. You know what my point is on that? We can change our vocabulary. Well, you can't say that. That'll trigger somebody. That'll, you know, oh, we can change our vocabulary, but it doesn't change the heart. There are all kinds of people who wouldn't dare say some of the words we're not supposed to say anymore. But it's what they think and what they really are. And that's why we have to look at everything through the eyes of the gospel. Only Jesus can change a heart and he does. 
Only Jesus can give life, and he does. Only Jesus can give hope, and he does. Only Jesus can make your life worth living as you exercise your spiritual gift and as you obey the Great Commission. And all of a sudden, life becomes a joy again because when I tell people about Jesus, I feel good about it, and I enjoy it. And it's a wonderful thing to do, to leave that hard life uh, hurting discouraged waiter or waitress a generous tip i mean generous tip and a gospel tract i want to tell you something that's more satisfying than any meal that you could ever eat to be able to talk to somebody who's having a hard day or lost a loved one and be able to pray with them to be able to ask them could i share with you how i came to know that i have eternal life nothing more satisfying than that and that's what we're supposed to do everything through gospel eyes is what we're saying. And that what is what Paul's point is because he talks about Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should be together with him. That's how we're to see the lost world, our leaders. That's how we're to see ourselves and everything that we have. The solution is Jesus. Number four, how do I make it through perilous times? You need to be committed to a community of faithful believers. We call it church, in case you hadn't known that. You need to be in there. You need to know people. You need to have people you can follow their example. You need to have people you can talk to. You need to have people in there that will come to you and say, what's going on here? What's happening? You need people that love you enough to confront you in your sin. You need people that actually know you. Not where you can blend into the crowd. You need to be in a place where you stick out like a sore thumb so that people will be checking on you, so that people will be correcting you, so that people will be praying for you, so that people will be loving you, so that people will walk beside you in your good times as well as in your bad times. And that's why he says, therefore, comfort each other, the church, and edify, build up one another. That's the church. You know, if you're not faithful to the church, you're probably not being built up. And you wonder what's wrong? Well, somebody else has to do the building, not you. You don't build yourself. Somebody else has to edify you. Well, I need comfort. I need encouragement. Somebody else has to give that to you. And sometimes as we go through the Word of God, we find out that before we get the good news, we got to get the bad news first. I don't, as a general rule, go to a doctor's office and say, uh, Doc, how about some chemotherapy? How many of you have been through chemotherapy? Say amen. Got a few of you. Yeah. Was it fun? You don't do that. You know why? Because chemotherapy comes as good news. We're going to treat your cancer after the bad news. What's the bad news? You got it. That's no fun. When my heart surgeon told me that I had to have open heart surgery, I wasn't looking forward to that. Well, this guy's a downer. What's he doing that for? I didn't come here to hear that. I came here to be encouraged and be told how good I am and how great my heart is and how uh, I'll probably never have to have surgery. Right? Doesn't work that way, does it? And sometimes whenever you're reading the Bible, you're in church. Well, it didn't make me feel good. It wasn't supposed to. You got the diagnosis. Now the answer is Jesus and his gospel. And even as believers, we need to be reminded this world's not our home. 
We're only passing through. But while we're here, we're ambassadors for the king. How are we doing? So we help each other. So I don't know how to witness. Well, there's somebody in this crowd today who knows how. Attach yourself to them. Hang around them and get it figured out. Watch them. Pray for them. Answer questions. Be the silent partner with them. And just observe. Watch what they do. Figure out a way that you can do that. Encourage one another. How do I overcome sin? Find somebody else who's overcome sin. There's somebody in here who's got your sin problem. Find out how they did it. Don't find out how the failures did it. If you're having trouble in your marriage, find somebody who's been married 50 years and talk to them. Don't talk to the person who's been divorced 19 times. But that's what we do, isn't it? Well, they can relate to me. This is not about relating. This is about fixing. Fixing these things. And so Paul said, this is how you live in the perilous times. This is what you do. You've got to be aware. You've got to conform your life and your thinking to the Bible. You've got to be on gospel mission all the time. And you've got to be a part of a local church. And you've got to be in fellowship with that local church so that you are loving and encouraging. And notice here, it didn't say, therefore get encouragement from these words. It said encourage each other with these words. You can't encourage anybody if you're not here. You can't encourage anybody if you don't know anybody. You can't fulfill this. You're disobedient if you are not in fellowship with the church. Well, I didn't get anything out of it. Wait a minute. Where's that verse that says I'm supposed to get something out of it before I do it? It's Regulations 12.1. Is that right? Yeah. Hezekiah 4.12. I don't know. You know, here's the truth. It's not in it. You're to be a giver, a giver. Give and it shall be given unto you, right? So, perilous times. Would you agree we're in them? Yeah. It's like the Titanic. It's going down. The Bible says in 1 John, this world is passing away. And we're, we're passengers on it. Whew, that's scary. Until I realize I have a lifeboat and his name is Jesus Christ. And I've entered that lifeboat, and I'm resting in Him, trusting fully that by His grace, not by my works, He died for me. He paid for my sin. He has given me His righteousness. He is a living Savior who rose from the dead, and He is Lord of all. Let every king, let every president, let every emperor on the earth claim to be whatever they want to be, but there's only one who is the true king, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules, He reigns, He is returning, and His kingdom is coming back. I am not destined, oh, if I get in that lifeboat, oh, I, I don't like the lifeboat. I don't either. Lifeboat's temporary. There's another day coming. And Jesus is saying, if you will come to me, I will rescue you. But there's a better day coming for everybody in Christ. And there's a new kingdom and there's another king on its way. So let me ask you, are you aware? Are you really conforming your lifestyle and your thinking to the Bible so that you stand out like a sore thumb in this dark world? Do you see everything through the eyes of the gospel? Because you're supposed to. That's why you're here. 
not God just take you to heaven the moment he saves you, but he left you here to be a disciple maker, to be an ambassador for Christ. And fourthly, are you the one that is coming to church not just to get something, but to be a giver and to encourage other people who will need it and to help them? That's why we're here. So if you've never been saved today, will you trust the Lord as your Savior and Lord and surrender to Him? And if you are saved, will you look at your life and say, have I just been coasting? Have you ever noticed that if you go out and say, I'm going to ride a bike and I'm going to get in shape, and if all you ever do is coast, you don't get in shape? you got to go up some hills. It's hard. you got to work. The same thing is true in the Christian life. You've got to exercise yourself unto godliness, Paul said. And he used that word exercise under the inspiration of the Spirit. It's hard work. It takes discipline and determination. And you also have to be diligent at all of it, right? I want to ask you, would that describe your walk with Jesus? Would that describe your commitment to Graceway? Would that describe the way you see your purpose in life? No matter what you do, no matter who you are, would that be the way that you do it? And if not, then on the authority of the Word of God, I'm saying to you, you need to change. There was a pastor that standing by the back doors and somebody said, I'll have you know, I didn't like your sermon. And he wisely said, neither did the devil. Somebody else said, well, you kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And he said, turn around. And I'll say to you today, turn around. Get in line with God and go His direction for His glory and for His honor. Well, that's way too much. But uh, take it to heart because it's truth. It's from the Word of God. Study it for yourself. Make sure I'm accurate on all of this and see... Uh, what the Holy Spirit says through the Word of God. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this, we do this, Lord, because we are living in desperate, desperate times with hurting people, with people that are bewildered, and people that life doesn't make sense for, and they're trying to copy what their granddaddy did, they're trying to copy what their parents did, and it's not working. Maybe they even tried to copy some church people and it's not working because they're dead in trespasses and sins. Oh, Lord, help us to care about those people. Help us to reach out to those people. Help us to be burdened for those people and to pray for those people. Help us to tell them about Jesus. Wake us up and wake up other churches all around the land and around the world. Because we're sinking and this world is passing away and we're acting like they are. Forgive us. Bring us to attention and bring us to be the soldiers we're supposed to be. And may you be pleased with us. And may we live under your blessing for your glory and your honor that our lives, whenever they are over, that they might matter for the kingdom of God. That we could impact somebody else for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.